Well, good morning. I have a couple of verses I'd like to read for you before we begin the preaching of the word this morning. The first is from Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. It says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Secondly, from Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And finally, from 1 John chapter 1, which we already heard once this morning, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning in spirit and in truth to do so freely. We ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. Heavenly Father, open our ears and our hearts to receive it by the power of your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a joy to be with you all. It has been a while, I think. I don't remember last time I was here, but it's been a bit. Um, And last time, my family wasn't able to be here because I think they were all sick. So they were very excited to be here this morning as well. Um, It's wonderful to see Redeemer Church grow and expand in lots of different ways, um, and I'm just thrilled to be here with you. The sermon this morning is on, the title for the sermon is Keeping Short Accounts, and this phrase is um, something I want to give to you, uh, as part in the, particularly in the context of marriage. So this is a, this is a sermon that I preached uh, at Trinity recently um, as part of a marriage series that my dad and I did together, and uh, this sermon is, is about keeping short accounts, about keeping your marriage decluttered, uh, because it is the sin in our lives that often clutters up our marriage and gunks things up. Now, at the same time, this has lots of application for all Christians in all circumstances. If you are a Christian and a sinner, and you have relationships with other people, then this sermon applies to you. You don't just have to be married. So there's lots of application here as well. But the, just to help uh, frame it, the context is primarily around marriage. I once asked evangelist and pastor Jim Wilson, who's been a, an evangelist and pastor for 60 or 70 years, what he thought it would take to bring reformation and revival in America. We heard in the prayer this morning, we pray frequently, often plead with the Lord to bring reformation and revival to our nation. What would it take? For this to happen. And Jim's answer was very simple. And without missing a beat, he said, Christians need to learn to confess their sins. That should catch you up short. Christians need to learn to confess their sins. Why is this? Well, when you are living with a pile of unconfessed sins, you are not living as a forgiven person. You're not living out the forgiveness that you have in Christ. If you believe in Christ, you are forgiven. If you believe in Christ, objectively, you are forgiven. You have justification before the Lord. If you've placed your faith in Christ and he has saved you, then you are forgiven. But if we live in such a way that we sin and then we don't deal with that sin, we don't confess that sin before the Lord, what's going on? We're we're no longer living as though that forgiveness, that objective justification that we've been given in Christ is true. We're living in hypocrisy. And so the question is, are you living out this forgiveness? Are you living out this objective justification? Tie this into the context of marriage. 
one of the most potent witnesses to the gospel in the world that God has created is marriage. Marriage is one of the most potent witnesses. You want to be an evangelist and preach the gospel? If you're a husband or a wife, the first place that you do that is by, uh, is by keeping your marriage faithful before the Lord. By having a vibrant, faithful marriage, you are a testimony to the gospel. Because as we sang in Psalm 45, the gospel is all about Christ coming for his church, his bride. And how he laid his life down for her and how she submits to him as her Lord. This is a picture of the gospel. And so, where our marriages are not prospering, we are not proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus to the world. And so, why is it then that our marriages often do not prosper? If this is this great opportunity that God has given to us as believers to proclaim the gospel to the world... Why are we not doing it? Well, it's because we're sinners. And it's because often a husband and a wife seek to cover their own sins instead of confessing them. It's because a husband and a wife sin against the Lord and against one another in big ways, in small ways, and then leave it at that. Cover it over ourselves. And so, as, as the proverb says that, that we just read, um, where we cover our own sins, we don't prosper. And so I would ask you to consider this morning, in your marriage or in your other relationships, in your relationships with your siblings or with your parents or with your children, do you prosper in that relationship? And if not, I would submit to you, I'd ask you to consider, are there sins that you have left unconfessed in that relationship? Because if so, Scripture teaches us that it won't prosper. That relationship won't prosper. Now, there may be other reasons it's not prospering. You may be right before the Lord. You may have confessed your sin. There may be other things going on. But I would ask you to consider that. Are there things that you need to confess between you and this other person so that you can experience the joy of your salvation in Christ and in that relationship with this other person? So let me give you a little bit of a roadmap, what I, what I hope to do this morning. We'll spend a little bit of time looking at those three verses that I read um, and tie them together. And then I'm going to walk through, um, I have two lists I want to give you. Two lists of, uh, that I'd like you to consider. The first is a list of principles. And there's four principles, and these are principles for dealing with sin. Um, these are principles we take from Scripture about how do we deal with our sin. The second list is a list of um, of house rules. Um, so these are particularly, again, helpful in the context of marriage. How do we keep short accounts? Um, some, some general uh, uh, guidelines for applying those principles. Um, and they, I would suggest them to you as things that you can and, uh, adopt into your own life, uh, into your own marriages, and apply them that way. But first, let's look at these texts. Turn again to Proverbs 28, verse 13. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but we'd just like you to see it again and, and consider it for yourself. Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper. The first application of this, of course, is we see in the Garden of Eden. I was telling my daughter that I was going to be preaching on confessing sin this morning, and she asked um, very uh, cogently, uh, are you going to talk about Adam and Eve? That's a good idea. <laughs> I should. 
right? Adam and Eve sin against the Lord, against the Lord they disobey him, and what is their initial response? I need to cover, right? They're full of shame because all sin is shameful. All sin is shameful. And so they, uh, they are aware of their shame, and so they seek to cover themselves, to hide themselves. Well, if we cover ourselves, we don't prosper. Adam and Eve were not exactly prospering when they're hiding in the bushes, right? Trembling because the Lord is coming. That's not a prosperous way to live. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever, cover, whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. We saw this in the psalm that Joel read during the, the scripture reading as well, Psalm 32. You want a wonderful example of, of confession of sin and, and the, the effect that sin has on you and the effect that that confession of that sin has on you. Go and read Psalm 32 again. David talks about how he was weighed down, dried up. It was like he was wandering in the wilderness. His bones are heavy and, and breaking because the hand of the Lord is upon him. Why? Because he was hiding his sin. He was keeping his sin hidden. And then the psalm changes and, and David says, I will confess my sin. I'll no longer hide it in my heart. And when he does so, there's great relief. There's great peace. The mercies of God are like a flood of waters. And there's great joy that comes from this. And so consider these two things. Um, he, who does not, he who covers his sins will not prosper. Versus he who confesses them will have mercy. Mercy and joy and peace and the restoration of your relationships. We know that sin must be covered and that's part of why we seek to cover them ourselves. Uh, my favorite uh, example of this from my own life, I don't know that I really remember this, but my parents do. <laughs> I, when I was very little, one of the house rules was, um, Tyler, don't bang on the table with the hammer. Apparently that was a thing. Right, don't bang on the table with a hammer. Well, I was doing just what I was told not to do, covered with guilt and shame, realizing what I've done. And so I go and hide in the most logical place I could think of, which was right under the table. I don't even think there was a tablecloth. I think it was just under the table. But the whole point is I, I, you're covered with your guilt and shame. You're aware of your shame. And so where do you, what do you do? We naturally go and hide. Like Adam and Eve, we go and hide. Why? Because our sin needs to be covered. It actually needs to be covered. But if we cover it ourselves, we will not prosper. Rather, our sins must be covered by Christ. And this is why in Romans chapter 4, Paul quotes from Psalm 32. He quotes from it and says, says that, Blessed is the man whose sins are covered. But in, in Romans 4, Paul makes very clear who those sins need to be covered by. We can't cover them ourselves. They must be covered by the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. And so, we ought to confess our sins to receive the blessing and forgiveness of the Lord. And so also, 1 John 1, 1.9, this other passage that we read this morning. 1 John 1, verse 9. This is, a, this is a verse that you should have in your bones. There's so much promise in this verse. John says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins. If we confess them, God is faithful. Can you trust that? 
Can you trust the faithfulness of God? And he's just. He's perfectly just. Well, how can a just God forgive me for my sin? Well, because of the blood of Christ. If you are covered in the blood of Christ, that a just God looks at you and he sees that the sin that you just committed has already been paid for. You don't have to do anything to earn back your salvation with God. But you can't try to cover your sin yourself. It's still there. And so this, I think it's helpful to understand also what it means to confess our sins. A sin, first of all, let's define our term. Sin is any break of God's law. Anything contrary to a perfectly just, righteous, holy, good God. Any break of his law, anything that goes contrary to him is a sin. Well, so if we're confessing our sin, what does confess mean? We confess our faith together when we say the creed. Confess in the Greek, in, uh, in this verse, in 1 John 1, 9, uh, the word is a compound word, uh, and, it, and it, ha- it means to say the same. It means to say the same. Well, to say the same as what? Well, if we're confessing our sin, we're saying the same about our sin that God says about it. What does God say about my sin? What does God say about what I've done? If we're going to confess it, we're going to say the same about it that God says. And in doing so, we're submitting ourselves to him. We're humbling ourselves before him. And it's on that basis, covered in the blood of Christ, that John says he forgives you. He forgives you. You don't need to go pay it back to him. He forgives you. It's done. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we confess our sins, I think this is helpful too. God not only forgives your sin that you confessed, but he cleanses you from all unrighteousness. There there are all kinds of unrighteous thoughts, all kinds of sinful thoughts that we have, sinful things that we've done, sinful things that we've said, and we can't count them all. But God is gracious, and when we confess our sins before him, he cleanses us of the sin and of all unrighteousness. I think God goes beyond our confession because he is merciful and he is gracious and because we are covered in the blood of Christ. Okay, so the third passage to look at just briefly is Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. This is part of why it is so, uh, this is a very important passage to remember in the context of confessing sin, but also how do we deal with sin with one another? Paul says, Brethren, if a a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Because we live as the body of Christ, we are exhorted to restore one another and to restore others who are caught in their sin. We live as a body. We're, We're one body. We're knit together. And so when one part of the body is in sin... It affects the rest of the body, and so the body is required to confront one another, to exhort one another. So Paul says, if you see someone overtaken in any sin, in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. What does he mean by spiritual? It's an important qualification to this exhortation. We must first ourselves be of the Spirit, 
and it must be done in humble gentleness. Spiritual in, in the Bible, when it refers to something being spiritual, it doesn't mean not physical. It, it doesn't mean something ethereal. It means of the Spirit. Of the Spirit. You who are of the Spirit. You who are spiritual. You who are right with God and have the Spirit within you. You who have the fruits of the Spirit evident in your life. That person should go and restore one who is in sin. What does it mean to restore? Well, the same word here is used of the fishermen that Jesus goes and makes his disciples when it says they were out mending their nets. It's the same word. You who are spiritual, go and mend that person. Now, we know that I can't fix somebody else. That's God's work. But what can I do? I can go to my brother or my sister in Christ and I can say, um, you have you've sinned in this way. It was something you said, something you did. You've sinned in this way. And if I am spiritual, if I am of the Spirit, then I am exhorted by the Lord through Paul to go and do that. And to do so in a spirit of gentleness. At the same time, considering ourselves, lest we also be tempted. Considering that I am, uh, I am able to be guilty of the same sin. If I were to do so. If I were to fall into that myself. I'm going and confronting this person, not because I am better than them, not because I'm holier than them, but because I love them. Most often our motivation, uh, uh, needs, well, our, uh, our, our motivation for confronting a spouse or a brother or a sister needs to be from a, a position of love and care for that person's well-being. But most often our motivation does not come from that. It comes instead from a desire to put down or to shame the other person. Right? We, we, want to, we confront our husband. We confront our wife. We, we confront our children. We sometimes confront our parents. We confront our siblings in their sin because we want to put them down. Because I want to win. I want to point out their sin so that I can win. Which... And stop and think about that for a moment. Between a husband and a wife, you're, you're calling out each other's sin or you're pointing out each other's faults and you're doing so because you want to win. That is the stupidest thing for a husband and wife. You're on the same team. right? You're one flesh. What in the world are you doing trying to win over the other person? Knock it off. I mean, that's just, that's so dumb. It's, it is absolutely ridiculous, and it's saying something about the gospel. right? When you go to your spouse and you confront them because of some sin that they've done, but you do so not in a spirit of gentleness, not spiritual yourself, but instead with malice or anger or envy or covetousness or hurt in a, in a self-centered sort of way, if you go to them in that way, you're not preaching the gospel. You're not a picture of Christ and his church. You're a picture of things falling apart. And we want to think that it's the other person that's falling apart. No, you're falling apart. You're the one that's, that has the audacity to go and confront your spouse when you do not have the fruit of, your, fruit of the Spirit in you. You're in as much trouble as they are, if not more. But this is why we must consider ourselves first. This is why Jesus says, consider this, the plank in your own eye before you go and deal with the speck in your brother's eye. Are you spiritual? Another great application, so important for this, is with your children. 
right? Um, children, parents have a responsibility to correct, to lead, to instruct, to discipline their children. That, that's a must. It's a, that's a responsibility that parents have. And the temptation is always to do so from a place of frustration. Right? My kids did that thing again. I've told them not to. It's inconvenient, the way that they're acting. It's loud, and I can't think. Now, those things may be true, but before you go and discipline those children, before you go and instruct them and and correct them, do a heart check. Am I spiritual? Am I of the Spirit? Am I walking in the light? We read from also from 1 John earlier, God is light. Are you walking with God as you go to correct those that... God has given you responsibility over? Are you stewarding those things that God has given to you as you go and obey him in the correction? And so we need to learn, we take these three verses together, we need to learn what it means to confess our sins because we want to prosper. This is, this is God's economy. This is God's world. And he has laid things out in such a way that when you, con- when you cover your own sin, when you don't confess your sin, you don't prosper. You don't prosper in your relationships. You don't, you don't prosper in your heart. We need to learn what it means to confess our own sins. And we need to learn to do so before we go and confront others. We need to learn what it means to forgive the other's sins as we have been forgiven. And so all of this needs to be rooted in the grace and forgiveness that we have received because of the death of Christ. And so I'd like to, um, I mentioned at the beginning, I have two lists that I want to give you. Two Christians living together in the covenant of marriage ought to have, and they ought to experience the joys of unity and fellowship in Christ. The problem is we're both sinners, right? But, but a Christian marriage, two Christians living together in the covenant of marriage, ought to have joy, peace, fellowship, unity in Christ and with one another. But we fall short of that all the time because we're both sinners. We're all sinners. And so that unity and that fellowship is frequently broken, and it can be broken by the smallest of things. Right? Right? Think back to the last time that there was a break in fellowship between you and your wife. Between you and your husband. I put good money down that it wasn't some really big, atrocious thing. It's because somebody forgot to turn the coffee on this morning. Right? Whatever it was. And Satan knows that you're all coming to church on Sunday mornings. Right? I feel like, I think a lot, of, uh, um, a lot of break in fellowship between husband and wife and within families happens on Sunday morning because you're rushing to get out the door to get to church. And the devil knows what you're doing. The devil knows you're going to worship and he wants to mess you up, break up the fellowship of the body of Christ. You come here like a bunch of hypocrites and pretend to be uni- united in Christ. And it doesn't take much. It takes the smallest of bumps takes the smallest of things and we've broken that fellowship that unity in christ and so there is regularly a need for things to be put right 
There's regularly a need for sins to be confessed, not covered over by us, because it doesn't work when we cover it over. Right? Something happens, there's a little spat in the car, and you, you get there, and you're both kind of fuming, but you're not going to say anything, because we've got to go in, and Pastor Mike's going to see us walk in, and I don't want him to call us into his office. So we're going to walk in, we're going to put on that good Christian smile, and pretend like everything's good. You know. And what's more important, God knows. You can't cover it. And so, as Christians, we need to learn, we need to break that habit. We need to break the habit of trying to cover it. And instead, we need to turn to Christ and ask him to cover it. Because he will. So this is what confession and forgiveness between husband and wife does. It sets those things right. It restores that relationship It makes it so that your relationship can prosper. So here are some principles to apply in confessing sin. I'll just name these for you, and then I'll go back and and talk with them individually. First, First principle is name the sin. Name the sin. Second, don't delay. Okay, number one, name the sin. Number two, don't delay. Number three, confess as if you're the only person to have ever sinned. Ever. Okay? Number one, name the sin. Number two, don't delay. Number three, confess as if you're the only person ever to have sinned. Number four, start with the top of the pile. Start with what's right on top. Okay? Number one, name the sin. Number two, don't delay. Number three, confess as if you're the only person that's ever sinned. Number four, start with the top of the pile. Let's go through these one by one. Number one, name the sin. As I said before, the Greek word for confess is a compound word that woodenly means to say the same. Okay, so if I'm going to confess my sin, I'm going to say the same about it that God says, I'm going to name it. We need to confess our sins as sins. No excuses, no euphemisms, no justifications, no I please forgive me, but you, right? That's not naming the sin. That's trying to name their sin, and, and right now that's not your responsibility. You can confess somebody else's sins all day long, and it doesn't do anything. You've got to confess your own sin. Name the sin. This is true as we confess our sin to God, which of course is where it starts. Confession starts with um, my, my confession to God. And this is because uh, all sin is primarily against God. Because if we define a sin as something that is breaking God's law, then even when I'm sinning against another person primarily, that sin is against God. In Psalm 51, another wonderful psalm of confession, David says, against you and you only I have sinned. And Psalm 51 is a psalm that David writes in the context of his confession of sin for having committed adultery with Bathsheba and had and organized or orchestrated the death of Uriah the Hittite. Oh, there's a contradiction in Scripture. No, no, it's because David says against you and you only I have sinned because that his sin is against God first and foremost. His sin is against God. Did he sin against Bathsheba and against Uriah and against his nation? Absolutely. But David sees the importance, the foundation of confessing our sin to God 
Okay, so the vertical relationship between you and the Lord should be restored so that the horizontal relationship between you and this other person that you've sinned against can be restored. This relationship, the, hor- the vertical relationship, has to be restored first. Because if you're not right with God, it's sort of like saying, I'm not going to act like I'm part of the body of Christ, but I'm going to go and make it right with this other person in the body of Christ. No, be right with God first. Be right with the Lord first. Be in fellowship with Him. Be spiritual with Him. And then go and confess your sins to the other. Um, Related to this also is, uh, I think, the way in which we confess our sins, the words that we use, really does matter for a couple of reasons. First of all, we want to say exactly what God says about the sin. So, for instance, uh, if if I lash out at my wife because I'm irritated, I'm ticked off, I'm not allowed to say to my wife, please forgive me, I was kind of mean to you. Yeah, fail. No, please forgive me. I spoke in anger, I was angry at you, and I intended to hurt you with my words. Also, uh, not I'm sorry. I'm sorry is what you say when you're coming around the corner, you bump into somebody, right? I'm sorry, excuse me. No, when I've sinned against somebody, I say, please forgive me. It's an acknowledgement of my sin. It's an acknowledgement of my need for their forgiveness. A transaction has to happen. If I just say I'm sorry, an appropriate response should be, well, be gracious to one another, okay, first of all. But a fitting response would be, if somebody comes up to you and says, I'm sorry, a fitting response would be, that's great. It's good to be sorry about your sin. No, humble yourself. You've humbled yourself before the Lord by saying, please forgive me, Lord, for I have sinned in this way. And then you go and you humble yourself before your brother or sister in Christ, saying, please forgive me because I've sinned in this way. You humble yourself and ask for forgiveness. And that is so much harder. That is so much harder, and especially in marriages. It is so hard when you have spoken unkindly, when you've spoken in anger, when you have lied, when you have um, refused to submit to your husband, when you've refused to love your wife and to understand her. It's so hard to go to them and say, not I'm sorry, but to say, please forgive me. Because in order to do that, you have to humble yourself. And apart from the grace of Christ, that is impossible. So that's why, again, humble yourself before the Lord first. Humble yourself before the Lord. Um, Proverbs says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so you humble yourself before the Lord because you need his grace so you can go and humble yourself before your wife before you can go and humble yourself before your husband, before you can humble yourself before your sibling that just really ticked you off and so you lashed out in anger. No, you need to humble yourself so that you can go and take responsibility for your own sin before them. So name the sin. No excuses, no euphemisms, no justifications, no I'm sorry, please forgive me, and name the sin as God names it. One other small caveat to, or side note to this. This also means 
that we should never confess as a sin something that God does not call a sin. And this is very important for us to hear in our current culture where you are told that if you have offended somebody in some way, then therefore you must confess that sin. And that is not biblical. It's not. And so to do so, here's, here's, here's why. Here's the problem. If I go and I, um, let's say something has happened between my wife and I, there's a miscommunication about who's picking kids up from school. Okay? But it's not a sin. There's, there's not a sin where, where one of us was um, uh, deliberately making things difficult for the other or um, uh, not even not giving the other person attention. It, there's a miscommunication that happened somewhere. We call that maybe some little bump. Okay? And if I go and I confess it as a sin, when it really isn't a sin, I, I'm not dealing with the problem. I'm making it worse by adding lying on top of it. Right? If I confess something as a sin and it's not a sin and God doesn't call it a sin, but I'm just confessing it, I'm confessing it to kind of keep the peace, keep things quiet. I don't want to deal with the blow up that might happen. I just I want to appease things. Doing that is lying. Okay? And, and lying doesn't help. Okay? Don't build your relationship. Don't have your. Uh, don't try to deal with your relationship and keep the peace by sinning. Don't try to keep the peace by lying about what God says. Be honest with yourself. Be honest before the Lord. Now, I have to kind of come around the other way and hedge it this way too. But that that comes in the context of actually confessing all of the things that really are sins, which we probably need a lot more practice in that. Right? Confess what God calls sin as sin and confess it and be brutally honest with yourself to confess it. And don't confess something that God does not call sin. And don't give in to pressure to do so unless God's word tells you to. Only call it sin if God does. Okay, so number one, name the sin. Number two, don't delay. Um, if we look back at Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen, this verse, he who... Um, Covers his sins will not prosper, but he who uh, confesses them and forsakes them will have mercy. There's an implied time element in this proverb. Covering your sin will keep you from prospering as long as you cover it. Right? He who covers his sins will not prosper. How long will you not prosper? As long as you're covering your sin. If you're still in that state of covering your sin, don't expect to prosper. But at the same time, confessing it now yields mercy now, again, 1 John 1, nine, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. It's not, if I confess my sins, God's going to go and think about it, and I'll get back to you on Sunday. No, if we confess our sins, God is faithful. And so he forgives us. Now, that doesn't mean there's not consequences from our sin, there really is consequences from our sins. Sometimes there's things that need to be restored, things that need to be fixed up, relationships that need to be mended, and that can take time. But the forgiveness, the transaction of forgiveness and the granting of mercy is immediate. In God's kindness, this means that you can get back in fellowship with your spouse or with anybody else as quickly as you got out of it. How long does it take you to get out of fellowship with your husband or wife? 
Again, it doesn't, doesn't take time at all. It doesn't take time at all. But we can get back in fellowship just as quickly as we get out of it. Um, look with me at Ephesians chapter 4. Paul exhorts Christians in Ephesians chapter 4 not to let the sun go down in their anger. This is in verse uh, 26. Paul says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And, and here's the really scary part. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Verse 27. Nor give place to the devil. Paul indicates that to do so, to let the sun go down in your anger. Uh, put it another way, to go to bed angry. To go to bed with anger in your heart towards another person. To do so invites the devil in. Come on in. The principle here applies to all sins. I think anger is just a great uh, summary of all of the sins that Paul has in mind here. You go to bed angry, all you are doing is inviting the devil in. If you say, I'm, I'm in sin against my spouse, I'm angry at them, I'll deal with it tomorrow. I, I got to just go to bed. I got to walk away from this. I got to go to bed. I'll deal with it tomorrow. You're just opening the gates of your home to let the devil in. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Sins come in clusters, and one unconfessed sin greases the skids for the next. So this is why if you go to bed angry, you're going to hang on to that sin till the morning. And by the time the morning comes, and by the time you've had your first conversation with your wife or with your husband, you've already probably accumulated a number of other sins. Sins come in clusters. They don't come one by one. And one sin greases the skids for the next. This is why we must not delay in confessing our sin. In seeking to restore things, to mend things with your spouse. Sin should be dealt with immediately. Psalm 95 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, right now, if you are convicted by the word, by a friend, by the Holy Spirit, by the conscience that God has granted to you, if you are convicted about your sin, do not delay. Do not put it off until a more convenient time. Do not delay. Sin should be dealt with immediately. Today, do not harden your heart. When a bump or a, a, a tiff or something happens between a husband and a wife where both parties are, are at fault, here's, here's a way to apply this principle. Don't delay. Both parties should seek to be the first to confess their sin. Because usually when something happens, it's usually not just one of them that's at fault. right? If, if there's a little bit of a bump that happens... Give it a couple minutes, and both husband and wife are guilty of something. Odds are. And so that means when you realize that, oh man, here we are. That means both of you should be racing to be the first to confess your sins. Why? Because you don't want to delay. You don't want to put it off. You don't want to leave room for more. Um, here's a, a, an interesting, a, interesting connection, I think, to apply to this here. 
Um, husbands, you are the head of your household, according to Scripture. You are responsible for your home. You're responsible for the spiritual state of your home. And so as the husband, as the head of your home, you ought, before the Lord, to be the first one to confess your sin. When something happens between you and your wife, you may not wait until she confesses her sin for you to confess yours. That is wimpy, and that is not taking responsibility for your home. Do not wait for your wife to confess her sin before you confess yours. Now, I thought you said to, that both should seek to confess first. I'm glad you asked. Wives, your duty in the home, your God-given duty in the home, primarily is to be a helper and companion to your husband. You're to be his helper, to come alongside him. Well, there's a great way that you can help if he's in sin. If you know that he's in sin and that he needs to confess his sin, you could help him by, by demonstrating it for him. You could help him by saying, I, I know that I'm guilty, that I have sinned to confess. Husband, please forgive me for the way I've spoken to you. Husbands, you lead your wives, show her how to confess her sin by you confessing your sin. Wives, help your husbands confess their sin by showing them how you confess your own sin. Help one another in this way. And one of the amazing things that God does is often he uses one person's confession to soften the heart of the other. It's uncanny how that works. God uses your confession... If what you, a lot of times, what you want most in the moment, you're both in sin. What you want most in, in that moment is for that person to humble themselves and to confess their sin, to say that they were wrong and to take responsibility for it. But often what God uses is he uses your confession of your real sin to accomplish that. Do you want to prosper? Don't cover your sin, confess it. So, first, name the sin. Second, don't delay. Third, confess as if you're the only person to ever have sinned. Now, I just said that God uses our confession often to sort of um, uh, bring about another person's confession. There's a real temptation here, though, to try to confess my own sin in such a way that I manipulate their confession. Right? I know, I'll humble myself, I'll use some euphemisms and whatnot so I don't fully take responsibility for it, but I'm going to get them to confess their sin. And that's wicked, don't do that. Our deceitful hearts like to manipulate this kindness of God that, that we encourage one another to confess our sins in that way. This kindness of God, we manipulate this by using our confession to get the other to admit to their wrongdoing. So this is where Galatians 6.1 comes in again. If the other person has sin to confess, you may bring it up to them. And in fact, you must. But you must first be spiritual. You must first be of the Spirit. You must first take the log out of your own eye. You can only do so after you have honestly confessed your own sin, free of any motive to win over your spouse. Third, confess 
as if you're the only person to ever have sinned. So what does this mean here? If, if I'm going to confess my sin, I'm going to confess it with no strings attached. I'm going to confess it not as a reaction to something you did. I'm going to confess my sin as something that really has, it just has to do with me. You're not guilty of my sin at all. Um, siblings, this is a great application for you. Because how often is your sin provoked by your siblings? All the time, right? So often, kids, you get angry and smack your brother, right? Or you pull your sister's hair or whatever. And you do it because they did something to you, right? Well, you can't do that. Um, the, the Bible teaches us, don't return evil for evil. God says, vengeance is mine. That means that God is going to take care of that. If somebody sinned against you, do you trust God? God says he will take care of it. You instead, it's okay for you to tell your sibling, to tell your brother, to tell your sister, hey, you can't do that. That's sinful. You can't speak that way. You, you can't talk that way. You're not allowed to hit people like that. But it is not your job to punish them for it, to give it back to them. God says you may not do that. Instead, if you have reacted in, in anger, then you need to go to that sibling and you need to confess your sin. Um, please forgive me for hitting you in anger. And, and what you can't say is, please forgive me for hitting you in anger when you, when you pulled my hair, when you took my brownie at dinner, when you... Right? Whatever it is. No, you just say, please forgive me. And then you name your sin and your sin only. Husbands and wives, please forgive me. Name the sin and yours only. Because in that immediate context, remember, you're the only person ever in the history of the world that has ever sinned. That's the mindset we need to have. That's how we get spiritual get right with God, be of the Spirit, so that then I can go to my spouse and say, Love, you have sinned. You, it's not okay that you spoke that way to me or to the kids. Or No, God says you can't do that. But only after I've taken full responsibility for my own sin before the Lord and, and with regards to that other person. Okay, so again, number one, uh, name the sin. Number two, don't delay. Number three, confess as if you're the only person to ever have sinned. Lastly, fourth, start with the top of the pile. When sin is gone unconfessed between two people for a long time, uh, there's quite a large pileup. Right? You probably uh, can recognize this. It's like when you know, we're in the spring, spring season now, um, and uh, how many of you have on your list of to-dos to clean out the garage? And the temptation is uh, to walk up to the garage, and you open the door, and it's just a mess. It's just a massive pile you close the door and walk away. Right? I, it's, just, it's just too much. Well, the fact is, it is too much. Your sin, your pile of unconfessed sin is too much. So don't try to deal with all of it right now. Start with the top. Just like if you were committed to cleaning the garage, you would just, what's right on top? I'm going to take that baseball bat and put it over there. What's on top? And as soon as you do that, 
Now you can see clearly for what's next. And so I, I take that one and I go and take care of that. Start with the top of the pile. Um, when sin has gone unconfessed between a husband and a wife, we, would, we could call this um, a, um, a phrase that I like is a cluttered marriage. Okay, it's cluttered. There's just stuff everywhere. It hasn't been dealt with. And in order to get to that state, a state of cluttered, a cluttered marriage, um, here's, here's what you have to do to get to that state. Absolutely nothing. Right? It's like, how do I get my garden nice and full of weeds? I do nothing. Right? How do I get my kitchen sink full of dishes? When I'm going through my day-to-day life, the way that my kitchen sink gets nice and full of dishes is primarily by me doing nothing. Right? Life happens. We're going about our daily business. All of a sudden, the kitchen is a wreck. Why? Because I didn't... Think of it this way. I didn't name the sin. I didn't grab that particular bowl. Right? It's a bowl, and it's dirty. It's naming the sin. I, I, didn't, um, I didn't apply the principle of not delaying. I delayed, and I put it off, so they've all piled up. Okay? And now... I'm realizing I need to do something about it. So what do I do? Well, start with the top. Start with what's right on top. Start with what's right easiest to put in the dishwasher. Don't delay. Start with the top of the pile. Don't try to move it all right now. God is gracious, so just deal with what's right on top. Okay, so those are the four principles. Real quickly, I want to go give you some practical rules, practical guidelines for how do, we, how do we accomplish this? So if I want to keep short accounts, what are some good guidelines or fences for doing that, for accomplishing that? This is assuming that you've, you've taken care of the pile. Okay? So if you have a cluttered marriage, the first thing to do is for husband and wife, or if you have a cluttered relationship between you and your kids or between siblings, there's just lots of sin that's unconfessed. The first thing to do is you sit down, write them all out, and, and confess them before the Lord. And then you go and you sit down with your husband or your wife and you confess them to them. Start with the top, go through the list. Here's the things I've done to you, taking full responsibility that I've not confessed, that I've not done, or that I've not dealt with with you, but I want to mend things. So you go and do that. Now, having done that, how do we keep it clean? How do we keep short accounts? How do I, how do I having paid down my debts, how do I keep my accounts nice and short? Here's how. Here's some ideas. Um, I'm stealing all of these and a lot of stuff in this uh, sermon from um, other preachers that have um, preached on this before. And, and one particular book that handles all of this really well is Doug Wilson's book, Reforming Marriage. Um, this list of guidelines is right from that. And I think it's so helpful. So number one, don't separate with unconfessed sin. Okay, again, particularly in context of marriage, but other application as well. Don't separate with unconfessed sin. That means, husbands, you may not get in the car and go to work in the morning if you had a fight with your wife over the orange juice spilling. Don't. Don't get in the car and drive away. Don't walk out of the house if there's unconfessed sin. Don't separate. Why? Because you are one flesh. You are united in Christ in the covenant of marriage, and to walk away with sin between you and your wife is, is hypocrisy. Don't do that. Don't separate. And the temptation is always to be so, um, so ticked off, 
so fumed up, I just need to, I just need to get outside and get away. Now, there may be a reasonable situation in which you need to do that. But for the most part, don't. You, you can get back in fellowship with your wife just as quickly as you got out of it. By God's grace. So don't separate with unconfessed sin. Number two, don't have people over in your home with unconfessed sin. I know uh, in this church, there's a, uh, and at our church, there's a great emphasis on hospitality, on having people in your homes, the necessity of that as the body of Christ, the way that we minister to one another. And, and that is wonderful. But don't let people in the door if there's unconfessed sin in your home. Why? Well, the same reason that you all uh, kind of cringe and laugh as we're talking about how you walk into church with unconfessed sin. Right? Same, same idea. It's high hypocrisy to put on the nice Christian family face when you and your wife are not right. It's just wrong. Okay, so don't let people in the door if there's unconfessed sin. But it's March, or no, April now. It's April, and we live in the Seattle area, and it's always raining. And they're outside. You see the problem. Well, Again, you can get back in fellowship just as quickly as you got out of it. Humble yourself, confess your sin before the Lord, name the sin, name it to your wife, name it to your husband, and then let them in. Takes takes about 20 seconds, right? But what it takes is humility, right? What it takes is committing. I'm not going to let people inside until my wife and I are right, until my husband and I are right, until I'm right with the Lord. And that means I've, I've got work to do right now. Don't delay. Third one, don't, ha- don't go to someone else's house with unconfessed sin. Okay? Same sort of principle. Um, a lot of uh, issues between husbands and wives happen in the car. Right? Amen? Okay? So you're driving over to somebody else's house for dinner or to Bible study or whatever it is, and something happens in the car. Well, don't get out and go in their house with unconfessed sin. Why? Because sin comes in bunches, and your sin is only going to grease the skids for more sin. So by the time that you leave, it's just going to be an absolute wreck. Don't do that. Don't get out of the car. Humble yourself. Confess your sin. It might take a couple minutes for you to humble yourself. Good. Take it. Humble yourself. Confess your sin. Um, again, um, only in the context of marriage here, but uh, important application. Don't have sexual relations with unconfessed sin. You're one flesh. Don't uh, enter into the act of consummating that when you're not. When you're not acting like you're one flesh. When there's sin in between you and your spouse. Okay, last one. So, there's those four. Don't separate with unconfessed sin. Don't have people over with unconfessed sin. Don't go to somebody else's house with unconfessed sin. Don't have sexual relations with unconfessed sin. Lastly, if you are in, this is just a good um, practical way to deal with this, uh, um, or another practical way of dealing with this in, in public. If you're in public and something needs to be confessed, right? So something happened between you and your wife, between you and your husband at a party, and nobody else really sees it, but the two of you know. And you know that the other person knows. Right? You can feel the eyes. Okay? What do you do? Well, um, just here's a simple practical way. Determine amongst yourselves ahead of time 
a, a sign, a hand signal of some sort that means, please forgive me for what I just said. And, that, and then you, you throw the hand sign, right? And the requirement is that it needs to be answered. You can't pretend to not see it, right? <laughs> no, you actually confess it, please forgive me, and it's returned. Now, there may be some things that need to be talked through when you get, get back in the car and you're in private. But the principle here, again, is don't delay. Don't put it off. Because if I put it off, how many more of those are going to happen before we get to the car? And then we're going to have quite the joyous ride home. So deal with it right away. Don't delay. So by faith, be ruthless on your sin. Be brutally ruthless on your sin. And gracious to your spouse. And then in Christ, your marriage will be glorious and a ton of fun. And a couple that treats sin in this way will prosper. Do you prosper in your marriage? If not, I submit that it's likely or a good possibility because there's unconfessed sin. So confess it. Humble yourself before the Lord. Faithful Christians are not sinless, but they are dealing with their sin. Faithful Christians are not sinless, but they are dealing with their sin. They're not covering it themselves. And this means that faithful and joyful marriages, um, you, you probably have some here that you think, wow, I would love to have a marriage like that. They're faithful. They're joyful. They love one another. They seem to just get along all the time. Well, it's not because they're sinless. But it likely is because they are dealing with sin in their marriage. And so included with this is swift forgiveness. This is a sermon primarily on confession of sin. I'm not going to launch into a sermon on forgiveness of sins here. But this is an important thing to remember. Swift forgiveness is key. Okay, if, we're, if, the, if one of the principles is don't delay your confession, don't delay your forgiveness. Don't delay your forgiveness. Love covers a multitude of sins, and Jesus taught us to pray that God would forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. We were to pray that God would forgive us in the same way that we forgive others. And Jesus gives an additional warning that if we refuse to forgive, neither will the Father forgive us. Neither will the Father forgive us. Yet in Christ you have great promises that you have been forgiven much. That's why you're here. Because you're forgiven sinners. And so, if that's true, and you truly believe it, then you are ready to love, and you are ready to forgive much, because you have, been, you have been forgiven much. And so, in the dance of Christian marriage, and all of the other relationships between Christians, there should be an abundance of honest confession and joyful forgiveness. Your relationships are not sinless, they never will be sinless, but they can be clean. They can, be, they can have short accounts. And this is how we show the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are good and you are gracious. And so, Father, we call on you to work these things in and through us. Teach us to be a people quick and eager to confess our sins, not only or not primarily from a sense of guilt, but because we know you. And we long to be right with you. And we long to be right with those that you have placed around us. Teach us to apply these things to our lives this week. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.